Welcome to the Logistics of Logistics, a podcast dedicated to exploring how things get places and the people who get them there. We'll talk with logistics and supply chain leaders about innovation, industry trends, and the future of the logistics business. Now, here's your host, Joe Lynch. Hello, friends. Welcome to the Logistics of Logistics podcast. My name is Joe Lynch. Thank you so much for joining us today. Today's topic is understanding freightonomics with my friend, Anthony Smith. How's it going, Anthony? Joe, I'm doing well, and thanks so much for having me on. I'm excited to have you on. So, um, guys, we have another Freight Waves first, and I think I've probably interviewed seven or eight people from Freight Waves, and it's not, not ending anytime soon. So they they know quite a bit over there. So, And what I'm interested about today is Anthony is the host of Freightonomics, and he is an economist, and he's going to talk a little bit about the economy and how it impacts our markets. So anyway, Anthony, please introduce yourself and your company and where you're calling from today. Certainly, well, Joe, thanks again for having me on. Yeah, I'm Anthony Smith, Chief Economist over at Freight Waves. And so I'm based out of Tennessee, Chattanooga, Tennessee. We like to call it Freight Alley over here. Oh, I call it the Silicon Valley of trucking. Yeah, that's <laughs> that too. It's just such a important place for freight and transportation. And been out here for about three and a half years and have been loving every moment of it so far. Excellent. Excellent. So I can't imagine people listening to my podcast don't know what Freight Waves is, but please, for the one or two people who would say, I don't know what that is, please tell them what Freight Waves is. Certainly. So essentially, it's the one-stop shop for all things in supply chain and logistics news and updates and data. The company was founded on the premise of really being able to bring transparency to the market just because it's so fragmented. And so what we like to utilize is, of course, our Sonar platform, which is essentially like the Bloomberg for freight and it's high frequency data that's updated on a daily basis. So you can see what's happening in real time just so you can make near real-time decisions. Also, we have a, a really awesome media platform, if I do say so myself, on my biased opinion, because I'm on it as well. No, it's true. <laughs> <laughs> but we also cover the freight networks or, or the freight industry and the logistics industry and, uh, you know, via press releases, white papers, research, uh, research papers, deep dives, weekly analysis, daily analysis, and, of course, on FreightWaves TV. Yep. And you forgot, you guys do a ton of events. I think we all kind of forgot during COVID, but you guys did a whole bunch of live events, virtual live events during COVID. But now we are back to real events. And I know you guys got one coming up here in November. What is that one? That's right. We have the Future of Freight Festival is F3. It's going to be an amazing time. Live music right here in Chattanooga, Tennessee. Going to be November 1st and November 3rd. And uh, I'm excited for this one. It's going to have a great line of guest speakers and uh, people in the industry. And it's going to be a good time just to kind of put more names to virtual faces that you've probably seen throughout the pandemic. Right, right. And by the way, when you mentioned Freight Waves is the Bloomberg of trucking, I think one of the Freight Waves people, I think it might have been Craig Fuller, he said, it's not us saying we're the Bloomberg of trucking. Bloomberg called Freight Waves <laughs> the Bloomberg of trucking. Exactly. And what Bloomberg does is, they again, they, they're providing tons of really good information that people can use to take better actions in their business. Same, same thing that Freight Waves does. And by the way, I, just to get to the scale of it, if you look, how, I don't know, how many podcasts do you guys do over at Freight Waves now? Yeah, we do. It's it's a lot. I don't, I, I think. I say 10, 15. We're over 10 for sure. <laughs> and 
it's one of the things I love because we don't have a certain message that we're pushing out. And you have people pushing out, okay, this is my perspective from my segment. Or the other big thing is that we have different segments really being represented, whether it's, you know, something with a rail intermodal, the cold chain, specifically at a point of sale retail space. There's just something for everyone there. And so that's one of the things I enjoy in addition to, like I said, there have been times where, you know what, I don't see eye to eye with my co-host, but we still, you know, talk it through live on air and just kind of say, all right, I see where you're coming from. So that's one of the big things I love about our our outlet. Yeah. And I think maybe I'm going to overstate this, but I don't think so. I don't think there was like a live daily news outlet for this humongous space of transportation, logistics, warehousing, supply chain prior to freight waves. And I think when I talked to Craig Fuller, one of the, uh, the founder over at Freight Waves, he said that when they first started, they thought they'd be just futures and just kind of that transparency layer that we talked about selling data. But what he realized is there's not enough daily news in this space which is crazy given the importance of the space. And this was way before the pandemic made the whole world recognize what we do over here. So it's an incredible month. I think I, I haven't talked to anybody lately and I don't want to put you on the spot, but I seem to think somebody told me 25 or 30 articles a day are published, not counting the podcast, not counting the videos, not counting all the information that you collect over at Sonar. So you need information. Those guys got it. That's exactly right. And it's like you said, just so much information coming out. We're putting out hours of video content on a daily basis in case you're on the run. You want to listen to something while you're maybe working on something else or you're driving or commuting, anything like that. And you're exactly right. We're putting out tons of articles and newsletters um, on a daily basis. And it's just so it's intriguing to me because, you know, it's such a vast industry. There's so much to learn right. about any segment. And it's just awesome to pull and internal folks and people within the industry to talk about it, to, you know, be featured on Freight Waves as well, because that's one of the other things I enjoy is we don't just, you know, talk to ourselves here. We pull other people in to get their perspectives as well. Yep. Yep. And by the way, I'll just say this just kind of from an education perspective. When you think about our space, third party logistics, I'll just say you have the transportation segment, which is trains, uh, trucks, boats, airplanes, all sorts of, there's a whole bunch of segments within there. Then next you talk about, that's the first segment. Then you talk about logistics, which I'll say is the freight brokerages and the 3PLs that have all the information. And they're the ones who are, you know, kind of coordinating that those assets. Then we have warehousing and fulfillment, increasingly important because of e-commerce. Then we have technology, which is, you know, of course, it's hard to believe we could do anything without the technology. But then there's a ton of specialized services that we have every supply chain has their own unique specialized services and by the way i didn't make up those five customer segments those were from the t a list of the top 103 pls they listed them on the vertical axis and along the horizontal and had those what what areas they operate in and if you look at those segments you could in a lot of ways goes they don't it's almost like a catch-all anybody who serves the supply chain gets thrown into the logistics and logistics and transportation bucket <laughs> or third-party logistics. Exactly right. And it seems like you, you mentioned a little bit earlier, you know, before the pandemic, it was almost like when you think about logistics, especially at, you know, other businesses, 
it was almost like back office operations. Like, you know, we don't care about it. Just get it there. I'm an automotive guy. And I famously said once, stupidly, of course, because that's what I do. I, somebody said I had to come and explain why I air freighted a whole bunch of stuff to China. And it was expensive. It was an extra $400,000. And I remember somebody said, you have to come to this logistics and supply meeting to explain yourself. And I remember I said, I'm never going to a logistics meeting. I don't, I'm never, never going to go. <laughs> <laughs> Little did I know there'd be some changes in my life. But anyway, enough about freight waves. We'll get back to that in a minute. Anthony, t- tell us a little bit about you. Where'd you grow up? Where'd you go to school? Give us some career highlights before you joined the mighty pirate ship that is freight waves. <laughs> of course, yeah, I, I forget uh, sometimes our origins as the pirate ship uh, over at, at Freight Alley, but um, <laughs> I'm originally from- I don't hear people say it as much, but I know it <laughs> is the pirate ship. Still run strong here. Well, well, I'm originally from Brooklyn, New York. Lived out there for first 10 years of life out there. and uh, You don't have an accent. I, like I try to hide it. I try to hide it until <laughs> I start talking to other people from Brooklyn, then it just kind of starts to come right out back. a little bit. <laughs> But originally from Brooklyn, stayed out there for for the first 10 years, then moved out to Arizona, went to high school there. Was fortunate enough to get recruited to play football over at New Mexico State University. Go Aggies. Very nice. By the way, I just looked at your schedule uh, before we hit record. The Aggies, they play some big boys. I just saw they played Minnesota, not an easy game. They play in Wisconsin, playing in California, playing out east. Man, that is is a coast-to-coast schedule right there. And so... One of the things that I was great about playing football there was, of course, getting into travel to these big schools and play at these historic stadiums. But we definitely played some of those, what you would call probably money games, where, you know what, this is great for the university, you know, bring in a little bit more money versus uh, this big school. They get a homecoming win and we get to uh, give it our best shot. I'll tell you, though, I say it all the time on my podcast. Anytime I talk to an athlete, what you gain as an athlete, even even in those high school athlete, you know, or junior high. I never, I never played that big time uh, athletics, but I always say I gain so much by playing the sports. You learn to win. You learn to lose. You learn to grind. You learn to push yourself. And as you get older, you need to push yourself. <laughs> At some point, life's going to get hard. Yeah, exactly right. <laughs> and you're used to grinding. <laughs> exactly right. Yeah, you, you can't get so lost and maybe you had a loss one week. You can't dwell on that because you have to get ready for the next game. And I think that you're exactly right in life. It's like, okay, that project, that client, whatever it might be, didn't go according to plan or, you know, this role isn't what I thought it was going to be. You can't dwell on that for, you know, months or years. You got to keep it moving and, and go on to right. the next thing. Yeah. And I, I heard a guy played for my beloved Michigan Wolverines and he said, it was after a season that they weren't, they weren't happy with, but he said, he said, you know, what you guys see is the 12 games we play. What you don't see is the practices. And he goes, he goes, when you say this is a losing season, he goes, you have no idea. That was just, you saw, you saw three and a half hours on Saturday. We got, this is our whole life. And then he talked about time management. He goes, when you play a sport at college, you are a time management guru. Oh, 100%. It, you might love athletics or whatever your sport, your, your field might be before getting into college. But once you get into whether it's, you know, NAIA Division three, two, one, D1AA, it challenges your love for it because now it's a full-time commitment. Oh, yeah. I got a buddy of mine who played scholarship tennis. And then when I asked him, are you playing any tennis lately? He goes, 
golf. Because <laughs> that was a job. I, that was my job. Yeah, 100%. I always joke that uh, I would have loved to have been a track athlete. I love track and field. Every Olympics, I'm, I'm glued to the TV. Every track season, I'm glued to the, to the, to the TV as well. But uh, I just wasn't fortunate enough to have world-class speed i had football speed but not that world-class I think, speed i think you got it i think you've got enough <laughs> gifts there man stop hogging <laughs> them all <laughs> so so you studied economics at school i did i was fortunate enough to get a scholarship athlete so finished my undergrad a little bit early and i had to take an injury uh medical red shirt and so i was actually there for five years to play to compete at new mexico state and so since i graduated early I was able to start my grad school while I was still playing football, which, you know, probably wasn't the best idea at the time. It was a little bit difficult juggling grad school and athletics at the same time, but incredibly thankful for the opportunity to get both my degrees, you know, paid for through football. Both econ? Both econ, yes, sir. So give give me some of your uh, career highlights before uh, before you joined Freight Waves. Certainly. So after graduating from Mexico, I took a one-way flight to Boston and didn't look back, didn't know anyone, didn't have any job opportunities, just kind of went out there with my degree in hands and uh, ready to take on any interviews that came my way. I uh, was fortunate to eventually land into a role at um, Reese, now known as Fast Markets Reese, in the forestry industry. was incredibly fortunate to have that role to get a good foundation and a segment within the, within the macroeconomy. It was an incredible learning experience. I took a step back just because I wasn't sure if the forestry product industry was just going to be where I saw myself in the, you know, right. the next you know, 10, 15, 20 years. And so I ended up getting into economic consulting and, and management consulting at a boutique firm in, uh, in uh, New Hampshire. And so from there, I was able to take a step back, look at a you know, few different industries from manufacturing to housing, um, had even had some clients within transportation, and really was able to say, okay, this is what is really intriguing to me. This is what's interesting to me. So it was a great time being a consultant, um, seeing from the outside looking in. But then at that point, I felt like, you know, I kind of lacked the inside looking out approach. And so I then transitioned over to a corporate economist internally at a building products company within Massachusetts. And that was a great experience just to be able to see, okay, this is what CFOs and CEOs are looking at internally. This is how they're utilizing their data. So was fortunate enough to build out some really cool internal systems for them to help forecast market trends and analysis. And so it's really cool to kind of see the markets from both sides, from the consultant aspect and then internal aspect. And then from there, made my way on to uh, Chattanooga, Tennessee and joined Freight Waves. So you had lots of opportunities. It sounds like you had a pretty good career going there. When and why did you decide you're going to go to Freight Waves? Certainly. What'd so, you see there? I, well, I had, was fortunate enough to be recruited by and brought on by some really powerhouses in the industry. Of course, uh, my first touch point being Craig Fuller can't get uh, much stronger than can't, that. Can't go bigger <laughs> than that. No way. And, and it's funny because I thought the role that I initially applied for was going to be in Chicago. And so I thought in my mind, you know, Boston, Chicago, it makes sense that kind of move. And he's like, hey, how do you feel about relocating to Chattanooga? And in my mind, I'm like, there's absolutely no way. There's no way I'm going to Chattanooga, Tennessee. And then I visited and it was amazing. Kevin Hill told me the same thing. Yeah. He's from Oklahoma. And he said, he goes, I didn't think I'd move. And then I went and visited. Exactly. I, I, I fell in love with the area. It's not overwhelmingly, you know, 
of a busy city like, you know, maybe Atlanta or some parts of New York, but it is convenient to move around and so conveniently located. And if you miss the winter, you can always come up and visit us in the winter. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> uh, there's been some few times where I've had subtle flashbacks of my Boston winters, but nothing compares to those northern winters. So w- what made you decide that this that you wanted to get into freight? So one of the things um, when I was brought on, one of the guys that I initially chatted with over at Freight was at the time was Dean Croak and a great mentor. I know Dean, by, very good guy. Brilliant, brilliant man. And, and it really, so I've always been fascinated about economics, why things do the things they do, and really getting a perspective of what's moving at the supply chain and, and, and with freight gives you an idea of what's moving throughout the country. And it's this crucial aspect of the economy and trends that I really wasn't giving enough thought to towards uh, uh, before I joined Freight Waves, and after I started jo- after I joined Freight Waves, I hit the ground running, learning as much as I could. Okay, what transports to, you know are really crucial to really kind of measuring, engaging what's moving on the ground now? Um, what are the levers pulling some of this demand, and how is it being moved? Yeah, I just talked to the guys over at Journal of Commerce, Peter Tershwell over there, and one of the things I thought was interesting is when you are tracking shipments into the country and shipments out of the country, containers or whatever, it might be bulk. You all, you know how the economy is doing before anybody else. And and it also reminds me of Jason Miller up at Michigan State is a professor. Jason Miller calls himself a supply chain economist. And he's a supply chain guy, but he used a lot of the government data. He says, I, I know what's happening from looking at what's moving and what's being built, what's being made. Yeah, it's interesting. So you host a podcast called Freightonomics. Tell me a little bit about that before we get into the topic today. Certainly. So one of the things I've just been incredibly fortunate with here at Freight Waves is to work alongside um, some brilliant folks in the industry. Um, kind of speaking about what's coming into the country, one of the guys that come to my mind is, uh, of course, Henry Byers here at Freight Waves. One of the best in the industry when you're looking at imports, exports, anything uh, ocean freight related. Another great guy, Mike Bowden, is still rail intermodal. But Freightonomics came together from me bringing the economics aspect and then uh, our head of freight market intelligence and Zach Strickland, who is a wealth of information, who has uh, incredible amounts of experience, definitely on the LTL side and just pricing and all aspects of finance and everything to do with freight logistics and so he brings the freight side in so together we made freightonomics and uh so we take a, a, a great approach as to seeing okay what is the top stories happening right now within the industry was it what can we say that it means for the macro economy what does it mean for the freight world and it's really been uh an awesome time bidding into host with him over the last i think it's we're coming up on our three-year anniversary i think pretty soon here so it's been a fun time well, we'll make sure we put a link to Freightonomics in the in the show notes. And one of the things before we hit record, I mentioned to you that I talked to Chris Pickett, who's been there, kind of been there, done that, got the hat in this business. And I think he's over at um, Flock Freight right now. I think he's chief strategy officer or something. But he also has, I don't know if he's still doing it, but he had this Pickett newsletter. And he was on my podcast talking about the rise and fall of truckload rates. And... I was saying, this is why you need to understand the economy and how it impacts us. And so one of the things he said was, this is the whole basis of why rates go up and down, I think, from a layman's perspective, is so the truckload rates start to go up and individual trucking companies say, 
I got 10 trucks, but I could easily keep 12 busy. So they go and they order class, I think it's class eight trucks, right? So they order two more trucks. And that completely makes sense. He's looking, she's looking at their numbers and say, this is a slam dunk. I know we have that need. Except the problem is, there's a whole bunch of people who are coming to that same conclusion at the same time. So the truck truckload orders for new trucks spikes, and then there's too many trucks and the rates drop. And he said, we always tend to overshoot. <laughs> and he says, and then, then there's a fallout and everybody's trying to get rid of those trucks. They're either selling them or uh, not using them to the extent that they want. And I said, this is why we need economists to, to kind of one more, you know, so we have our, our individual perspective that tells me I could keep two more trucks busy, but I need to know from, from you and the Freightnomics folks, should I buy those new trucks? Right. It, I think that, that definitely gets back to one of the core things that Craig Fuller was pulling together when putting or really founding and, and, and growing freight waves is bringing tribal knowledge and data together. And it's one of those things where you see veterans in the industry, they, they've they seen the overcorrections time after time after time, right. cycle after cycle. Sometimes the data guys haven't seen it just yet. And when you bring the two together, it's a beautiful thing. And so you have these newer individuals that might be new to the industry. Maybe they're a new uh, carrier. Maybe they're a new you know, driver, whatever it might be. And they'll start to see, okay, the getting's good. Let me, you know, maximize this and not think about what might be the next cycle. And we're talking right now about just trucks, but that applies to warehouse space, that applies to hiring new headcount, all, all those things. And so that's, again, that's why we need to kind of, oh, by the way, I have one e e economics joke and I have to tell it before we get into the topic today. For a minute while I was in school, I thought, you know, I really like this, my econ classes. Maybe I'll get, maybe I'll switch to econ. I was a business major. And I remember uh, talking to one of my professors. He goes, you know what the best part about being an economist is? I said, no, he goes, you can explain why you're unemployed. <laughs> <laughs> and, and it was funny because he goes, and there was an unemployment lines. Then he goes, the guys in front of you and back you in the unemployment line, they don't know why they're unemployed. <laughs> you can explain why. <laughs> That's hilarious. I, I remember hearing something very similar to that when I was in the middle of my undergrad. And I was just like, is this is this really what I want to do? And I just push forward with it. Well, again, it's a great it's a great thing to have because again, you can you can see the world in a different way. But anyway, we wanted to talk about five topics. And this is really you educating us, not not only what you do over at Freightonomics, but also how we can have a better understanding of how you can do your job. So the first thing you look at when you do freightonomics, what's one of the first things you would look at? Some data that would give you insights into what's happening. Certainly. So I I am a sucker for looking at things that's happening upstream and downstream. So, but starting off with upstream, I am a sucker for flatbed. I love looking at flatbed data, whether it's our flatbed outbound tender rejection, what's going on within the flatbed world. And you guys have you guys have that we do outbound tender rejections. That's right. And so we can essentially see what capacity is looking like for flatbed trailers. And it's one of the things I love because one of the first things I, I really kind of wrapped my head around when I got into this industry is how crucial flatbed trailers are. 
even though they make up such a smaller segment of overall freight being moved compared to dry van and, and, and reefer. And so when you think about a uh, flatbed, I think of, you know, industrial goods being moved and hauled throughout the country and construction and building product materials. And so once you start to see an easing in industrial production, manufacturing, these are businesses that are, you know, no longer feeling confident about making these large capital expenditures. And so um, that's one of those areas I watch closely. Okay, seeing, okay, what's happening oh, with yeah. those businesses? What's yeah, happening? When you think about it, when you just mentioned building materials and industrial equipment. So when you see a flatbed going down this road, it is maybe big rolls of steel. That's not going to a consumer. Uh, when you see building equipment, building materials, that's going to build a house that's not going to a consumer yet. And then when you see like in a big machine that's going to a factory. So this is when this is when people are building houses. People are are I mean companies feel good about investing in industrial stuff. Exactly. And and those rolls of steel tell you they're making something. So they're not using their inventory. I mean they're not it's not just inventory. So what do you, how do you get that information? So, uh, yeah, similar to other economists, I love, I'm a sucker for, you know, publicly available data sets. So things like Federal Reserve's um, industrial production, ISM, PMI, stuff like that, which are all great. The downside is, is that they're lag. So if you were to look at the latest industrial production index, it'll be through the month of August, I believe, and we're already here in October. And so um, what I love to do is pair it with like, you know, our internal index indexes like. Yeah, you guys don't lag. We don't lag. And so oh, we're behind by a day or, you know, a few hours. Yeah, and that, so, <laughs> and, and that's, you know, makes the world a difference because I remember when I would do forecasting for different companies back when my consulting days, I would use these monthly data sets and I do these quarterly forecasts, forecasts out um, maybe around, you know, four years out. And the more recent data that you had, the better. I remember sometimes waiting, all right, I need to start this forecast, but the monthly data doesn't get updated until, you know, Thursday. All right. Um, as soon as the data hits at 1030, right. I'm going to get started. So one of the things I love doing is pairing, you know, our near real time data. So like say a uh, flatbed outbound tender rejection, and I compare it with something like housing stars to see, okay, how can I anticipate where these data sets are moving depending on how, how how tight or how loose capacity is in a certain market. Right. And I, I, it's funny, when you mentioned flatbeds, I obviously booked a lot of flatbeds in my day, but um, and I've seen a million drive by, but when you think about it, none of that's going to a consumer yet. It's going to be going to another business that is, so that gives you an, an, an interesting insights. Yeah, and it's interesting you mentioned the lag when COVID hit, I had, I remember day one of the first week of COVID, somebody called me and said, hey, I think we're going to renegotiate all our freight rates because the rates should be going down. And probably within two weeks, whatever, the rates were skyrocketing, right? And and you think of all that action that happened, it would, the lagging data missed the, missed the party. Oh, 100%. And it, it's it's like, you know, uh, if you want to go off of seasonal, like the the pandemic threw seasonal trends out the window, you know, especially, you know, where it would be peak season or non-peak season or for different segments have different types of peak season, different times of the year. But it was just something like, all right, we can't depend on historical context or seasonality right now. We need to know what's happening 
as of you know yesterday what to make a decision for today right so what's the second area that a, a freightnomics guru like yourself looks at sure so i uh, like i said i love that industrial aspect manufacturing another one that i really love looking at uh that really kind of brought me into freight waves um craig really like my background in housing construction and so that's really kind of how i kind of uh, started really seeing the logistics world from my you know point of view and i love looking at housing construction uh, from my time working at a building products company it's one of those areas that definitely intrigued me so just similar to businesses having to feel confident about making capital goods expenditures consumers also have to feel very confident and secure in their economic standing to make a home purchase and so once you start to see home purchases and acquisitions go up um, you're saying all right these consumers feel confident enough to make a big ticket purchase they're feeling confident enough that uh, in job security, not that they just have, okay, I have these funds, but I also feel secure in my role, say, you know, a year, two years, three years from now to like continue to pay on this mortgage and things like that. Yeah. So those new housing starts is super important. And, and I just heard the other day, and maybe you know better, but I think that maybe it was a video that I was watching said 1% of houses get torn down every year. So just to stay steady, you need to build a certain amount of houses. And I can tell you this, I have a daughter and son-in-law out in Portland. They could not buy a house during this last, during this, and they, they've said, you stand out in a line of people. And when you're in Portland, you have all that California people who are taking their money and leaving. And he says, they're paying hundreds of thousands of dollars over asking and they're paying cash. And, and you go, whoa, that is just crazy. But obviously it's cooled down. By the way, they had to build a house. They, 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 they looked and looked, they made offers, finally said, all right, let's go build a house. <laughs> yeah, and I think that's the intriguing thing because there's been such a demand for housing, especially since the Great Recession 0809. Um, we still haven't reached the same level that we did you know, in 2007. And uh, when we look at the home financial market, existing home sales are going to make up much bigger portion of, of home transactions. I think it's around 90% or thereabouts. And new home sales are going to be like a much smaller portion, but still very critical because the thing I love about housing starts and, and, and logistics is, of course, we, we spoke about flatbeds hauling those lumber and building product materials across the country, but it doesn't just stop there. It's, it continues, you know, okay, I have this new house. A lot of times you want to fill that new home with uh, new furniture, new appliances. And so we see those downstream impacts as well that also feed into different forms of freight, drive and things like that when you're hauling furniture and, and, and uh, appliances, refrigerators. So, so do you look at, do you look at, is, is freight waves looking at furniture moving as one of their indicators? So I, I definitely like looking and diving into some of the trends happening uh, when looking at, of course, retail sales data that comes out on a monthly basis, things like that from Census Bureau, but also from our, our maritime data, we can see well, what's really, coming to the country. Yeah, what's yeah. going into the country. And so we can see, you know, what volumes are looking like, what shipments are looking like coming in from China uh, into LA or, or into Savannah or some of the East Coast ports as well. And so really being able to check, okay, volumes are kind of starting to dip down or really picking up from Asia or from different parts of the country into the U.S., it really gives you a head up on saying, okay, this is what's really kind of be the the softening demand that's happening really far upstream from that import side. And that's likely going to be really felt downstream, especially when we get into freight volumes after all that stuff gets into the country. Yeah. One of my recently published podcasts was with 
Stephen Edwards from. He's the CEO over at Port of Virginia. And he was talking, I asked him, Who's, whose stuff do you haul? What, what, what's coming into your port? And he said, it's a lot of retail. You know, so they work, so their customers are the shipping companies, the, sh- the guys who own the ships, but they also look, they're, they're by extension, the largest retailers are also their customers. And by the way, that stuff that used to a lot of times come on the West Coast and get put on rail and moved across the country is now coming in. They're going through the Panama Canal and delivering to New York or to Panama, I mean, Panama, <laughs> Virginia, Charleston, Savannah, Houston. And by the way, I said this on that podcast, 80% of the population in the United States lives east of the Mississippi. And so as big as Texas is, as big as California is, even counting all that, it's still only 20% of the population. So if you're delivering retail goods, it makes a lot of sense to end up in Virginia or New York or New Jersey. And if you do decide you're going to go, if it's coming from China, if it goes to LA or Long Beach, it's got to come out by rail for a few days. And again, I interesting things to pay attention to, because again, it does seem as if a lot of that stuff is moving to the East Coast suddenly. 100%. And I think uh, one of the big things that I found out as well is how much positioning of trucks matter uh, when you start thinking of, all right, where all the yes, drivers are. It's funny. That's what I was thinking is somebody's picking up at the West Coast for a Target or something. And then one day somebody says, no, we don't need to pick it up in LA anymore. Yeah, exactly. And I think majority of the, the drivers are going to be living on that East Coast as well. So it, another thing that kind of drives that point home of how crucial East Coast facilities and, and really the infrastructure is and how it's going to be even more impactful as we continue to move forward because we see the west coast they just have an incredible amount of infrastructure built up on the west coast and so i think we're going to see a lot of moves forward for just building up the capacity to take in so much more volumes on the east coast where you're looking at savannah or some parts of new york yep and uh, by the way when we talked yesterday you mentioned consumers so when you what consumer data were you looking for and what 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 informs your your data that you provide to all these companies that are in desperate need of advice yeah so of course one of our our most popular indexes is going to be botvi and that's going to be our van outbound tender volume index and so um looking at van volume dry van volume and uh it's it really got bumped up quite a bit throughout the pandemic from retail aspects. And so, of course, I love looking at and diving into the monthly index like retail sales. All right. What's happening with food and beverage stores versus clothing and clothing stores, accessories or electronic and appliances and things like that. E-commerce. E-commerce was a huge one that really kind of helped, you know, skyrocket and spike volumes throughout the pandemic. You saw so many people at home. I know I was guilty of abusing Amazon, uh, the buy now right. <laughs> button and right. things well, like that. We, you, you couldn't go on vacation. You probably couldn't buy a new car. You weren't going out to eat as much. And, you know, God knows we're not going to sit and reflect on things. We right. need stuff. Exactly. It's the American <laughs> way. And then next thing you know, uh, you see. It'll this... make me feel better if I get that. <laughs> exactly. It makes me forget I can't go outside. And so. Now I have these lighting systems here <laughs> that makes, makes me feel like I'm right in the outdoors. And so one of the other big ones, of course, uh, stimulus packages getting deployed throughout the country. Right. So if you're without a job, 
you never knew it because some folks were making more on the stimulus packages and unemployment benefits that were boosted up than they were when they were working in the first place. And so I think that was another one to help boost consumer goods. Yeah, that was crazy. And I remember right after that, we had all those people quit their jobs, you know, the, the great resignation, but, but which by the way, I think now that they've dug into that, I think they say it's a lot of that as women, especially moms who said, I think there was some realization that um, there's other things in life. I'm going to work from home and I'm going to figure out a new way to make a living. And yeah, the world, it, the world forever changed. I joked about it the other day and it's, it's probably not funny, but some people are never going to stop wearing the masks because they got, they got, you know, and maybe they're justified in it. Maybe they don't, maybe they don't have great health, but I, I go to the store now and everyone's wondering, why is this guy wearing masks? Yeah. Yeah. I think the interesting thing for me has always been the regional differences. So in Chattanooga, Tennessee, you didn't see too many masks unless they were strictly enforced. Like you can't come in without a mask, you know, without that, you know, the city never really fully felt like it shut down too much. But throughout the pandemic, I made a trip up to Boston to go get my vehicle and a few other things. World of difference in in Boston. So it was just really intriguing to see the different areas. I experienced that too. Yeah, very, very different. So we talked about the upstream, especially industrial. We talked a little bit about housing and construction. And we just talked about consumer situation. One other thing I wanted to talk to you about was you mentioned something before hit record about warehouse capacity. What are you doing with that information? Oh, man. So it's it's a tricky one. You know, some of the roles that I wasn't envious of throughout the pandemic and still not right now is, and I love forecasting, but was demand forecasters for certain companies because it was so difficult for a lot of folks. You see, you know, an incredible amount of demand for a certain product and you, you're you're doing your best to pull it in, making sure that you're fully stocked. And and instead of just in time, we all know it went into just in case. And then so started into overordering. Okay, now there's supply chain issues and now there is a significant delay. Okay, now there's this delay on, on, on hand and we're trying to pull in as much as possible. And next thing you know, warehouse capacity is just, you know, you know, piling uh, or, or, or shrinking capacity is just, you know, coming down and coming down. And now inventory levels are coming up. Now inventory levels are starting to cost more. And so now you're you're stuck with this juggling of trying to redistribute this inventory okay uh this warehouse is is getting a little bit too crammed let me redistribute here okay and let's get it over to this facility and so we're looking at you know of course exercise equipment throughout the pandemic that was a huge thing i'm guilty of the air fryer <laughs> that was had throughout the pandemic as well and so there are all these different items that really pull through um you want to make sure that you have goods in place, of course, for the holiday season, um, things like that. And now we're getting into a, a, a time where there is this pull forward with too much stuff. Now there's this glut of inventory and you see these things like, you know, Amazon Prime Days, which I, I have been guilty of enjoying too much or, you know, early Black Friday deals instead of, you know, last fall, we didn't have Black Friday. It was almost like uh, Black November. It was like a month of just deals um, that just started going on nonstop. Right. And so so warehouse capacity would also be kind of connected to inventory levels. And and I think one of the challenges when, you know, during the pandemic, we had the and still do have some supply chain issues from, all the way from China right to our our ports and then to the trucking companies that, you know, had, were shorthanded. And if you were somebody who was responsible for ordering 
let's just say you mentioned a few things like let's just say uh laptops right. or microphones everyone was buying microphones you could not buy a microphone because we we're all be doing remote work right and you could see where if i was ordering those and i called you up and said anthony help me you say i don't know what to tell you you gotta maybe order a few extra because who knows how long this lasts so i order way too much then i get it in the warehouse and then at some point i call you back and say you were right or you're wrong but chances are you were wrong i mean we never forecast right on i remember somebody saying to me one time if you forecast too little you lose sales and you're an idiot if you forecast too much you buy too much and you're an idiot he goes and there's no chance that you're gonna be right on so he goes you're an idiot no matter what <laughs> <That's>, <laughs> and i was like well, that's that's encouraging, but none of that inventory carrying costs in many cases is higher than transportation costs. So, and I think this is an area that third-party logistics guys and brokers, especially as we get more digital freight matching and the, the AI and ML does more, I think this is a place that a lot of us can move into, which is help the overall supply chain better manage inventory. Exactly right. And I think that also kind of comes down to, you know, the frequency of data, because if you're looking at ocean data, that's months old, it's just like, it's right, the lag. Do, that's exactly. the, this is, this is why Freightnomics is so important because it doesn't have a lag. Yeah. I mean, when you're looking at what's going on with freight waves with our data sets, it's just, okay, high frequency. And we want to be able to make a decision, make the right decision a lot sooner. I want to be able to... <clears throat> excuse me, benchmark and analyze, you know, the entire market and then really be able to forecast a lot more accurately from that. So I'm, I'm curious, Anthony, are guys from Wall Street starting to look at FreightWaves data because it doesn't have that lag? It seems like it's a new data point that is maybe more useful to make decisions. And, and by the way, I already know trucking companies and freight brokers and are all buying your data. But what about the what about the Wall Street guys? They're always looking for an edge. Oh, definitely. And I think that's a great point. So I've been on a few calls, of course, with financial institutions, banks, really looking to get that high frequency data. Because as you mentioned earlier, they're always looking for a leg up. They're always looking for an angle. Okay, how can I analyze this data a little bit faster? How can I beat these expectations? And so this is definitely an area where we're starting to see a lot more activity at with in institutions, uh, financial investors, and those interested that are really having a stake within the logistics industry. Yep. And I think also, and we talked a little bit about this before we hit record, is that increasingly we're seeing dynamic pricing out there. And if I'm responsible for creating that dynamic pricing, I want to make sure that I understand kind of that macro economic thing, what's happened on the big picture. But I also want to make sure if there's something like consumer spending is out of whack compared to that or industrial spending is different. I want to make sure that I have the the data points. And again, that's one of the things that I mean, that freight waves can sell me, but also Freightnomics can educate me on. If even if I'm not buying right away, I can still say I'm going to educate myself because we're all responsible for. Somebody says, "Hey, tell me where rates are going to be in six months." I think one of the first stops should be uh, <laughs> talk to the Freightnomics guru. <laughs> yeah, we have. So that's one of the awesome aspects on on one of our our platform is as we have this program called Track. 
and it's our trusted rate analysis tool. And what we're able to do is do a lot of very accurate forecasting within it. And so we have a band uh, and it, it shows what forecasts look like for hundreds of lanes throughout the country. And so we want to see what the rate is for, say, for whatever reason, if you're running from L.A. to, to Denver or something like that, and you want to see what the what the rate is there or anything on the East Coast. You can see all these different lanes, check the rates, what's the going rate and what's the forecast expectation for those lanes. Right. And one other thing I want to talk about is in this, this is a little long winded question, but I know we have labor shortage and that I think is going to continue for a while because people who are baby boomers are starting to retire. And I think the majority of baby boomers have already retired. And that means they're not investing as much. So they're taking their money out of the market. They're they're more conservative with their cash. It also means that they're not available to work and the generation behind them is uh, not as large. So we have that issue. I think we also have challenges with a lot of things related to what's going on in the Ukraine. I heard saw somebody yesterday talk about there's three types of fertilizer and each one of them is in short supply. And fertilizer allows us to grow food on marginal land. Something we typically didn't do in the past. In the in the in the olden days, without fertilizer, you did not grow crops everywhere that we grow crops now. So as soon as some of those marginal lands don't get fertilizer, they don't have food, which means food gets more expensive. We already see gas is more expensive. So we're seeing inflation and we're talking about inflation. I think we're all of us who go to the out and about, we are all seeing the prices go way up. How do you account for all that when in your in your role over at Freight Waves? I think a few things you you hit um, the nail on the head, especially earlier with the workforce. When you're looking at um, women, a lot less women being compiled into that workforce, it makes a world of difference. Of course, I, I would always want whatever is best for a family dynamic to you know be held in that household. But the other big thing is you know my colleague Zach always put it. It's like women are almost like the glue that holds everything together, especially in the workforce. And not overgeneralizing here, but it brings we, so we much- We need of, adult supervision. Exactly, <laughs> exactly. And <laughs> they bring so much, it, women bring so much, you know, added brain power, diverse thinking, problem solving, multitasking ability, amazing amounts of, you know, specialization into the workforce. And same with baby boomers. <clears throat> we think about the and level of industry experience a lot of baby boomers have, or, and, and leaving the market, there's almost like this brain drain in a sense when you're looking at years and years of experience just kind of exiting the workforce. And so when you're looking to replace someone that was maybe, you know, a baby boomer, have years and years of experience, a lot of times it's almost like when someone leaves at a startup and when you're at a startup early stages, you do like five different jobs and people only know about one of them. And then you go on to your next thing and they think they're just replacing for one thing, but now they're going to have to replace for, you know, five things. And so I think similarly to baby boomers, when you replace such an industry veteran, you might need to replace with two or three more people. Or throughout the great resignation, um, we saw people that had industry experience really exit the workforce and go into a new industry. And so maybe that's another type of brain drain that's not thought about as well. Yeah, there's so we, we're going to definitely have this inflationary concerns so do you do you guys put that i know you do how do you put that into your data that you guys provide to 
the rest of us. <laughs> Certainly. So um, one of the things, of course, we track CPI, PPI, stuff like that. One of the really cool what things. What is CPI? So, oh yeah, so that's the consumer price index, essentially gauging the level of inflation for consumers and the producer price index, essentially gauging the level of inflationary pressures for those producers and wholesalers. And so it's actually, we also call him the Sultan of Sonar. He's a, a sonar guru. Who's that? Zach Strickland. Okay. And, and Sonar being our, you know, our, our platform that, you know, distills all this data for us. One of the really cool things that he was able to do was really adjust for inflation on internally on our, on our platform to show what it looked like for different indices. So really being able to adjust for inflation to see, okay, and also seeing what's happening with volume. So for example, we saw um, volumes really start to have a pretty close relationship to non-store retail sales throughout the pandemic. And then once you start to see inflationary pressures continue to take hold, you see non-store retail sales kind of outpace volumes as volumes start to come down. And that's not to say that people are buying fewer things, but just because retail sales are measured in millions of dollars, it costs more. And so you can see it almost in, in you know near real time of like, okay, retail sales are still up, but it being measured in millions of dollars are really kind of somewhat can be a way misleading because consumers are starting to, you know, really be hit more and more and more by inflationary pressures on a daily basis. Excellent. Well, that's not excellent, but this is excellent <laughs> information. So I want to summarize. So I'm talking to my friend, Anthony Smith. We're talking about understand, understanding freightonomics. So we talked about a, f- a few big areas here. And again, <laughs> you want more information on this, please check out Anthony's podcast over at Freightways. It's called Freight Freightonomics. But we you you look at this upstream stuff that's happening in just the industrial. So you want to see are we seeing are we seeing flatbed moving? And flatbeds are moving, that means that not only is industrial stuff moving, but chances are so is housing stuff. So you're looking at data on the housing and construction, also on industrial spending, and you can see some of that through your flatbed spending or flatbed rejection rate. We also talk, you, you also look at the consumer situation. And I think yesterday you mentioned, are they paying off their credit cards? Little things like that, that you guys can say, uh-oh, danger zone. Exactly. These guys aren't paying their credit cards. So you look at all of that, and then you talk about warehouse capacity, which gives you a sense about inventory. And it gives you a sense for how we're managing that inventory. Then last but not least, we just talked about labor and inflation. And again, you know, I think we could probably hit 10 more things. <laughs> and I know you could take us deeper on each one of these topics, but this is the kind of stuff that you're looking at when you make make, make some of the calls that that informs all of the data that you guys provide to so many trucking companies, so many, uh, I guess, probably shippers now too, and carriers and uh, brokers and 3PLs and everybody else in and Wall Street. <laughs> exactly right. Exactly right. And Joe, you hit the nail on the head. We could dive into so many more and deeper on so many topics. I mean, for when I think of the employment market and you see 1.1 million jobs gone and job openings and the participation rate still below the pandemic level. And, uh, you know, as we mentioned, you know, consumer debt starting to pile up. If there's a shakeup in the jobs market, the savings rate is below the pandemic level. So they're not going to be in the best of positions, you know, to weather a financial storm. So there's just so many variables that go into this. And it's always intriguing to, to take it all in and really put out, you know, knowledgeable forecasts that people can make informed decisions on. So I'll put you on the spot for just a sec before we wrap this bad boy up. So where will we be? 
six months from now, better condition, worse condition in, in the middle of that storm or? I, I So six months from now, I'm not that optimistic about the early part of 2023 uh, or the final months of this year. Um, I think we're going to continue to slow and ease. And even if for some reason we saw that there was a tick up in GDP for the third and fourth quarter, that doesn't kind of you know ease my mind in a, in a sense, just because we're already starting to see the dynamic shift in the employment market and consumer being such a huge part of the macro economy over or nearly 70% of the economy is built off of consumption, they're not going to be in the best position to continue to make those consumptions, I think, as we get into the beginning parts of 2023. So I think businesses are going to continue to start slowing down and easing their growth. And once we start to see that, uh, of course, they're going to have to try to get rid of these inventory levels at uh, heavily discounted rates, that's going to start to impact their margins. And I think that's really going to start to cause a, a potential storm or, or conditions that's not going to be very conducive to growth over the next six months here. So does that apply? That means tr- truckload rates going down? I think truckload rates will start, uh, go down and ease. We're starting to see some substantial easing in the spot market. And I think we'll also start to continue to see uh, contract rates come down as well. Inflationary pressure is still very much abound. Uh, producer price index, I think, edged up 0.4% in the most recent report as of, I think, this morning. Energy is going to definitely be one of those variables that's going to be a huge shift and swing. And then we're going to hit peak energy season up here in the winter time. So I think that's going to be another factor that's going to be a thorn in the economy side. Yeah, goodness. Well, it's not all good news, but I think it's, you know, what we need to do is we need to arm ourselves with the information. And that's that's why we should listen listen to Anthony and his buddies <laughs> over there at Freightonomics. So, Anthony, let's wrap this bad boy up. Tell me a little bit about this. Who is the sweet spot for FreightWaves? Who, who is your customer over there? Certainly. So, I think early, early days is, is carriers. And um, then we kind of brought out from carriers to carriers and shippers. So carriers and shippers are, are definitely in the sweet spot right now. And we're also, as I mentioned earlier, really um, growing our presence with a lot of financial institutions. So those are being, uh, I think, some of the big three aspects for us. And uh, um, we're also now starting to expand into other segments of the economy. So we're really getting back to some of my early earlier days in the forestry products industry. So we're starting to expand there as well. So uh, no, it's I think carriers, shippers and financial institutions have definitely been a sweet spot for us. Yep. And what problems do you solve for those guys? Rapid data, bringing that industry. No lag. No lag. <laughs> that industry knowledge and world-class data sets up and, and really being able to bring these really convincing use cases. And it doesn't matter if you're, we've had customers that are owner operators and we have also have Fortune 500 companies both being able to utilize our data. Yeah. And by the way, this is such a crazy time. I say this sometimes when I talk to people like you on my podcast. 10 years ago, you wouldn't be in this space. There was no, I'm sure there was economists looking at this data, but it was just not, it wasn't a sexy space. It wasn't a space where you, probably blows your mind that you say, Wall Street is collect is looking at our data. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Some of the calls that Wall we Street had looking the- down at Chattanooga. And yeah, going, tell us what we need to do. <laughs> exactly. Throughout the pandemic, it was really um, you know intriguing to see who, what calls came our way and continue to do so, especially throughout these uh, slower economic times. Yep. So one more, one last time. What about your conference? What day is that? So November first, November third, this year, two thousand twenty-two. If you're watching in the future, <laughs> um, yeah, and, they'll be watching a few days, three <laughs> days from now, and that's going to be a future freight festival. It's going to be a great time. Um, 
JB Hunt always puts together a great party. They're going to be throwing up another party for us this year around. It's going to be live music, tons of great content. And God networking. knows Tennessee's got some music. They'll just yes. have to drive down from Nashville. Exactly. Yes. Yes. <laughs> and not just that country stuff, please. <laughs> <laughs> we'll have we'll have some rock in there as well. Yes. It'll be a good time. All right. Excellent. Well, Anthony, what I'll do is I'll put a link to your LinkedIn profile, a link to Freight Waves, and a, a link to Freightnomics. And guys, check it out. Again, I think if you're trying to figure out what's going to happen over the next next few months or next six months, you need Freightnomics. And again, it's especially it's one thing when you're going into 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 a clear ocean without waves, but man, we're we're in a storm now. It's 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 getting a it's getting a little rough. So uh, you don't want to make a bad decision. Exactly, I one hundred percent. I mean. It's funny when I was consulting, no one wanted to talk to us when times were good, but when times were bad, it was like everyone wanted to have the answers. <laughs> help us, help us, right? Anthony, I really appreciate you taking the time and sharing your expertise, which is really significant. I love what you guys are doing down there. Joe, thanks so much for having me on. It's been an honor and a pleasure. Thanks so much. Thank you so much, and uh, thank all of you for listening to my podcast. Your support's very much appreciated. Until next time, onward and upward. You've been listening to the Logistics of Logistics podcast, where we engage in conversation with experts in the logistics field. For more details, visit thelogisticsoflogistics.com or follow Joe Lynch on LinkedIn.